Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My, my name is Paul Wingfield, and I am the student pastor here. Uh, and this is probably the second time I think that Joel's allowed me to get up here and teach. So I must have not said anything that was too awful the first time, and uh, he didn't get enough of a, a bad response from you that he's going to let me do it again. So. It's always a privilege for me to, to get to do this and to get to stand up here and to, to share from God's Word. So if you're new with us, we have been in this series called Everything, where we've been looking at Second Peter and seeing how God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. And so kind of in the, in the spirit of continuing what we've been doing, uh, this week we've been looking, we're going to be looking at mutual affection. We've got a couple weeks left. I think next week we're going to be finishing up with love. Um, but I would like for everybody to get out your Bibles or your apps, or you can just look at the screen, because I would like to uh, continue to just do what we've been doing and read this together, um, starting 2 Peter, verse... One, yeah, there we go. We, we, we clap for that. Yeah, that's okay. So if you're new here, we uh, celebrate God's word, and we clap, and we cheer for it. Uh, so don't think that that's too weird. Um, so starting at verse uh, 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, we're going to read all the way down to mutual affection. So his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection. So in in my preparation and in my study for, you know, thinking what, how do I, how do I teach mutual affection? How do I, uh, what do I want to get across to you guys about mutual affection? I kind of came up with three things that I would really like to accomplish today. And one is we're going to look at what is it? What is mutual affection? Uh, the second is, how do we do it? If this is something that we have to add to our faith, how do we actually have this mutual affection? And third is, what are the implications or what are the outcomes of us having mutual affection for one another? Uh, so to, to begin, we're going to be looking at, what is it? What is mutual affection? So the Greek word that is used here is actually Philadelphia. So there's, I hear there's a city named out there after that. You know, So it means brotherly love. I don't know if it is a city full of brotherly love or not. 
All I know is that I want to go over there and I want to play Eye of the Tiger and I want to run those stairs and I want to jump around at the top doing this. I know that it is the city of Rocky Balboa. Um, but apparently it's full of brotherly love too. I don't know. Um, but this really means to have love for someone that is like your own family, right? Um, I don't, I'm sure many of you have siblings. Many of you have brothers or sisters, uh, or maybe you have children that have siblings, and, and you, can, you can see the, the brotherly love that they share towards one another, right? They're always kind. They're always loving. They always are, are selflessly sharing their toys with one another, right? No, not at all. You know, for a long time, I thought that I was just like some awful parent because my kids just seem to fight all the time from sun up to sundown. But apparently it's normal. So thankful that I'm not alone in that. But no, you're, 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 you're mean to one another, right? You're, you pick on each other for whatever reason. But the first time that someone comes up and, and maybe bullies your brother, well, the, the family affection then comes out and shows a powerful side, right? You stand up for them. No matter, even though that you pick on them, surely nobody else is going to pick on them though, right? You, you go to bat for them because you have this, this family bond that only comes from long familiarity with one another and just deep, deep bonds. You know, you can, get, you can have squabbles and you can get mad, but there is always this love that, that brings us together. Maybe let one of the family members get a, a, a life-threatening um, diagnosis or maybe even, even pass away. And there will be tears that come uh, for that family member that do not come for others. It is this deep bond that we share. It is this, this brotherly love, this family type of love that, that it is saying that we should add to our faith. You know, I think of my own kids, um, <laughs> even this morning, as soon as they woke up, they just started fighting. Um, Sawyer's birthday was the other day, my youngest son, and he got all his, his gifts and um, immediately they just started waking up and fighting over who gets to play with them. And he hadn't even opened them all yet. And so... But I think about the times that I am wrestling maybe with my oldest. He, he's really physical. And if any of you have ever watched him in childcare, you know this. Uh, sometimes he just runs out of nowhere and jumps on you. And he's, uh, he's just, he, he likes to wrestle. He likes to be, you know, to, to test his limits with old dad. And I think when I, when I maybe start playing too hard with him, or maybe from my youngest daughter's stance, it looks like I'm hurting him, or if I put him in a headlock and he's going, ah, stop, stop, stop. Um, I'm not really hurting him. I'm just, you know, we're, we're playing. Uh, but she doesn't know that. She doesn't know that. And she sees her brother, even though she's mean as she can be to him, when she sees him in this vulnerable position and like he's being hurt, she comes running up and you leave my brother alone, leave my brother alone. And she's even straight up just like punched me in the face before. I mean, just she's, she's, she's yeah, a handful. And many of you know this. Um, but she has this, this love that is in her that goes to bat when she sees her brother being hurt or being um, mistreated in a way. And that's the type of love that it talks about we should have for one another. What if we went to bat for our brothers and sisters in Christ that way? What would that look like? What if, what if when our brothers and sisters in Christ were struggling with sin, they were being bullied by the enemy, we step in and we say, you leave our brother alone. What would that look like? How would that change things for our church and for our community? Ephesians 2.19 says this. It says, you are no longer 
foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We, are, that in, we that are in Christ are part of a family together. And we know this. We've heard this for a long time, right? We're, we're all part of the same family. But do we always treat each other like we're part of the same family? Again, I said there's, there's times that we argue and that we, uh, that we fight with one another. But when we're talking about exhibiting mutual affection or brotherly love for one another, this is meant for us to show to one another first. Before we show that love to those that might be on the outside of God's family. Now, some of you might be thinking, hold on a second. Well, like you're, you're, I'm, I'm not saying don't love people that don't know Jesus because that's the whole reason that uh, Jesus came, right? Was to seek and to save those that are lost. So we have to do that, but we have to show that to each other first. Why? Why do we need to show that to, to each other first? Because there's people that in this room that are in, God family, in God's family that you may not even see eye to eye with. You may not agree with them. You might have different political views. You might have different views on how you should raise your children. There are things that you can disagree on. We can disagree on things as a family, but that should not affect the way that we love one another. There's even some of you in here that pull for Tennessee. And even at this point, hey, you know, I will say this, they did pull out a win the other day. So congratulations for you guys. Um, and there's some of us that are Alabama fans, right? So don't hold that against me. I'm glad Phil Owen's not here because he totally would. Um, but I think about this love that we are supposed to have with one another, even despite us not seeing eye to eye. When Jesus, the last thing that he did on earth, when he was praying in the garden, they call it the high priestly prayer in John, John 17, he, he said this, he said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. And further down in verse 20, he says, he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He prayed that his people might be unified. That was the last thing that he got to pray for on this earth, was that his people would be in unity with one another. And, and when, I, when, I, when I see that, and when we talk about loving each other first in, in Christ's family, why should we do that? Because if people that do not know Christ, that have not accepted him as their savior yet, if they are looking at us to be this example of, of what it looks like to follow God, if they have these questions, but they look in here and they hear, yeah, Jesus is about love, but I look at these people that profess to love him and they can't stand one another. Or they, they squabble, they talk behind each other's back, they lie to each other, they gossip about one another. Why would they ever want to join that family? So it's important that we have this brotherly love. Yes, we can have conflict with each other, but it's about how do we step into that conflict and resolve it because Christ has, has made us his ambassadors for reconciliation. We have to reconcile with one another. Despite our differences, we have to have this family love that brings us back together. Uh, there was this old song uh, by DC Talk. Uh, some of you young people, that was an old Christian band uh, in the 90s. And 
You should look them up, by the way. Um, but they had this song called What If I Stumble? And I'll never forget, it was one of my favorite songs because it always started out with, with this quote, but the gist of it was, what if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I turn and make fools of us all? Um, and it always gave me comfort because I'm not perfect and I am gonna stumble. We're all gonna stumble. But it, it said this, it said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge him with their lips but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that always hit me really hard because I thought, you know, what, how am I maybe adding to that? Am I loving people the way that Christ has called me to love them with this brotherly, mutual type of affection? And if I'm not, is that aiding to their unbelief? If our mission is to make disciples of all nations and to teach them to obey what Jesus has taught us, how do we do it? Because we know in John 13, uh, verse 35, it says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the mark that shows that we follow Jesus is our love for one another. We have conflict in family. It's part of living closely together. For those of us that are, are married, think about that first year that you moved in with your wife and, start, and you lived together and you're starting to find all these, these, these things that you're like, that kind of annoys me about them, you know? And I'm speaking about, there's nothing about my wife that annoys me. I'm just saying, she's probably watching now, so I just want to make sure that I say that. Um, there are plenty of things about me that annoy her, though. And, but we know this. There's in close proximity with one another, which is the, the, the way that Jesus calls us to live together as a community, there's friction. There's, there's friction that ultimately... If, uh, if unacknowledged, will, will lead to, to something that, that, that starts hurting. And it's just, it's part of it. Conflict comes up. Husbands, you know this every time you go to the bathroom and forget to put the toilet seat down. But how we handle that, how we handle that actually speaks volumes as to if we are truly following Christ. Families, we fight, but there is forgiveness in this world, like if somebody does wrong to you, if somebody hurts you, are you likely to step in and say, you know, what you said to me the other day, that, that really bothered me, that really hurt me? Or are you likely to, to step away and say, that would be uncomfortable to go to them, and then you just start to let this, this anger start festering up in you and you say, you know what, I'm just gonna avoid them. I'm just gonna avoid them, I'm not gonna talk to them. And you walk away. Not even in this world, but even in this church. Somebody whether intentionally or not, what if, they, what if they do something to hurt you? Are you likely to go to that person with that family-type love and say, you know, that hurt me? Or maybe you, you were the one that did it. Are you likely to go and say, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that that hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's what makes family cohesive and bond together is our willingness to step into these uncomfortable situations and resolve our conflict together. Now, this is actually one of the biggest reasons people leave the church is because they experience conflict or hurt by somebody inside the church. Even though we are all imperfect people and we are gonna hurt one another at, at some point or another in our life, are we willing to step in and to say, you know what, this is, this is not what God desires. God wants us to, 
to be unified together as a family, to have this love for one another. So we, we have to add brotherly love to our faith. This is one of the most important things that I believe is on this list. Brian Henderson, a couple weeks ago, spoke of, the, spoke of this verse, and he gave a, a great worship demonstration if you missed that, uh, but what it would look like if we didn't have love. And, and Paul says in Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And so that brings us to our our first point. Uh, So if you have your app or if you're just taking notes down, it should be in there. It says, we cannot truly love God without having love for his people. We cannot truly love God without having a love for his people. Brotherly love is important, period, end of story. So now that that we know what kind of love this is telling us that we should have um, and that we should add to our faith, well, we need to explore the how. What does it look like? How do we actually do that? How do we get to this place in our hearts that we're able to love someone else in this way that we would love our own family? How, how, how do we do it? And I can't help but to think of a couple of things when I, when I think of how, how do we achieve the how? How do we do it? I think of when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, or they're speaking to him in Matthew 22, and they asked him, they said, they're trying to trap him. They said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? He said, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and he said, that's the greatest commandment. But the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And you know, loving God does often come easy for us, especially when it's, you know, when it's going good for us. It's, it's easy to love God. But when it comes down to loving our neighbor, that's where many of us struggle. And many of us think, well, how can we do that? Do they, does God even know how that person acts? Does he really? I mean, how am I supposed to love that? Whoever said that it was supposed to be in your own strength that you're able to love them? It's not. You're not supposed to do it on your own. That's why we need Jesus to help us accomplish this. And, and so when I think about those two commandments, the greatest two commandments, and, and how we should show affection for a brother or how we should love that brother, I think that John 15 gives us the answer to that. Uh, but before I get down to that verse, I wanted to read you an excerpt from uh, Robert, Coleman, uh, Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, in regards to this, this topic. And he said, he, being Jesus, gave all that he had. Nothing was withheld, not even his own life. Love is like that. It is always giving itself away. When it is self-contained, it isn't love. In this sense, Jesus brought clearly into focus before his followers just what was meant when God so loved the world. It meant that God gave all he had to those he loved, even his only begotten son. And for the son, in incarnating that love, it meant renouncing his own right of living and giving his life for the world. Only in this light, when the son is put in place of the world, can one even begin to understand the cross. Yet in this realization, the cross of Christ is inevitable, for the infinite love of God can express itself only in an infinite way. 
Just as man by his sin had to die, so God by his love had to send his son to die in our place. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I love that verse about laying your life down for your friends. There's no greater love than that. And so if we have these two commandments, love God, love people, and the rubric of that is to lay our life down, that's the greatest type of love. We should lay our life down for God and lay our life down for people, for our neighbors. Do we have that kind of love? Do we find ourselves really portraying that to one another? And if you, if you don't, I would challenge you to, to seek the Lord's help for it. Begin to ask for the, the ability to be able to do that. Paul, again, in uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, starting verse 8, he says this, uh, writing to the church there at Thessalonica, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Going down into 11 and 12, it says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And in verse 19, it says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And this brings us to our our second point that I wanna make out. It says, in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, when we sacrificially share our lives with others, they become our glory and joy in the presence of Christ. They become our glory and joy in the presence of Christ. And as a church that is focused on on making disciples, it all begins with how well we are willing to love and to share and give our lives to our brothers and sisters. This is why we encourage everyone to engage in a small group, engage in a, in a community group, because when we are living closely together, this is the, one of the greatest ways that we can begin to experience this biblical community that God has, has designed for us. And it's really the vehicle that we can begin applying this brotherly love towards one another. You know, I, I think there's something just so wonderful about having a group uh, just having a group that you can be with on a, on a weekly basis and, and, and share in life throughout that week other than the night that you meet together, but just how great it is to have a group of men that can hold me accountable, that can be with me when I need prayer and be with me when I need help to walk through certain things, whether it's in my marriage or in my life or, or whatever that is. I guarantee you that at any point in time, if I called any of those guys up and said, hey man, I am struggling and I just, I just need you to be here with me and pray, I have no doubt in my mind that they would absolutely leave what they were doing and come and join me in that. They have this brotherly love that we are to give away to one another. You know, and, and if I'm not careful, I, it can sound that what I'm telling you today is that we just need to love each other and, and not put any of that focus or that love to people outside of the church. And that is not what I'm saying. Uh, I don't want you to think that it is. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. 
That was his mission. That was what he wanted to do. And if we only focus our love towards each other as believers, our mission can never move forward if we never bring people in to that. We are to make disciples, not maintain disciples, right? So that means we go to people that don't know Jesus and make them a disciple, show them this love that Christ has for us. And Jesus was very intentional in how he did this. He was very intentional in spending his time with the lost. And he did everything in his power and more that he could to invest and to serve in them. But the facts can't be ignored that he had a very intentional plan to invest deeply in a few to reach the masses. And that's what, that's what is, is making disciples, that's what we want to do as a church. And the same way that Jesus did it is to deeply give himself away to his disciples. Why did Jesus spend the majority of time with that small band of believers? Well, it's because he wanted to reach the world. Again, in, in this book, The Master Plan, uh, Robert Coleman says something that really it really stands out to me and I really think drives home the point of why we should have this brotherly love. And he says that one cannot transform a world except as individuals in the world are transformed. And individuals cannot be changed except as they are molded in the hands of the master. And if we want to, if we want to go to an unbelieving world and, and change it and show them the love of Christ that lives within us and show them the hope that we get from, from having this relationship with Jesus, well, we can't do it except as individual people are changed. Well, individual people can't change except as they are molded in the hands of the master. That is discipleship. That is our calling. To lay our life down for someone and teach them what it looks like to abide and to remain in Christ and to allow him to shape their lives into what he would like for it to be. And through that, fruit is produced. John 15, again, says that if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And it's my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. He doesn't say if you work really hard, you'll produce all of this fruit. He said if you just remain, just stay in me, fruit comes no matter what. It's inevitable as we remain in Christ. And that, through giving brotherly love or mutual affection to each other and teaching each other to remain in Christ, that's how the whole world gets changed. And so I want to look at an example of this, and as we're, as we're finishing up here, um, I want to look at the implications of, of how that changes things. What does that look like in, a, in the world when we do this with one another? And many of you are familiar with this, this passage. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this brings us to our, our, our final point. When we display mutual affection, 
it attracts those who desire it. And those who desire it find the source from which we gained it. Guys, when we, when we have this love and when we, when we sacrificially are giving our time away, you know time is the single-handedly most important resource that we have. Money, we can make, we can make more of that. We can buy clothes, we can get cars, we can, all of these resources that there are are replaceable. But our time, our life, is the one single-handedly most valuable thing that we possess because when we give it away, there is no more of it. And so what we see as these apostles and these early believers, the early church are gathering together and they are displaying this mutual affection. It says that they, they uh, ate together with glad and sincere hearts and were enjoying the favor of all the people. As they were doing this, no doubt the culture around them saw what was going on and were, was kind of on the outside looking in saying, what? what kind of love is this that they have? That they're selling their own things to give to people that don't have? They're, they're meeting together all the time and they're, they're literally just giving themselves away as if their material possessions have no meaning. Because what they didn't know was that they had something, they had a possession that was far greater than any material thing that they could ever physically possess. And so as they, as they saw that and were being drawn in to, to see what is this going on? What's, what is this love that you guys have? for one another, well then there's the chance for the gospel to be presented. And because of that, because of them living out this mutual affection for one another and giving themselves away freely, God added to their number daily those that were being saved. The only reason that we can love others is because Christ has only first loved us. That is the only way that we can love other people. Because naturally, we are selfish. Naturally, we desire what is in our best interest. And it is only through the power of Christ who lives in us that we can selflessly give this love away to others. Can you imagine what our communities would look like if we lived that out on a daily basis? Could you imagine what our neighborhoods would look like if we actually got to know our neighbors? (laughs) How many of us can say that? Do we even know who our neighbor is? In this culture that we've built today, we all just go home, and I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it at times. Just go home, and we'd like to just sit down and relax and not get outside and go knock on doors and find out who's living next to you. We somehow get tunnel vision about all, we're so busy, we have this tunnel vision that just squeezes in and we just focus on doing our life, our life, our life. But if we don't open that up and allow others in, how can we ever share the love that Christ intended for us to share? That is what this is talking about. That is what it is talking about. When you add mutual affection to your faith, it's talking about that kind of love, this family love. Because further down in in 2 Peter there, it says this, it says that if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. If you don't have a mutual affection for one another, if you're not adding that to your faith, 
then the opposite happens. You are in, you're ineffective and unproductive, right? I guess that's the same. I'm just, anyways. Um, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to be that way. It would have a tremendous impact on everything and everyone around us if we begin having this love for one another, beginning in our Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In this initiative for the Who's Your One, I want to give you some, I just want to, I just want to kind of cast this vision for you. We all, it's Who's Your One, but I'm going to give you some numbers of, of what it would look like if you just had two people, two people that you deeply cared for and deeply invested. You, you loved them with a brotherly love. You gave your life away like John 15 says is the greatest type of love. If you did that and, and poured yourself into them for one year and they came to know Christ in this deep and intimate way, and then at the end of that one year, you said, hey, it's your turn. Go find two people and do the same thing. By the 24th cycle, 24 years, 10 and a half billion people will have been reached. It's more than the population of the world. So if we're looking at how do we fulfill the Great Commission, it's not, we don't have to be these Billy Grahams that go out and have these huge crusades and worship services. You actually just have to deeply and sacrificially show brotherly love to two people and then have them do the same thing. That's how you can change the world. And that is, that is my prayer for us as a church, is that we would begin to employ this brotherly, selfish, self, selfless type of love for one another. Because that is where faith grows, that is where life is given, and that is where life is, is found in this love that Christ has given to us as we give it away to others and point them to the true giver of life, that is Christ. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.